Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you, by the way. I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets, and what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day -day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Zero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. We have a very special episode for y'all today. Today we have a panel instead of just one specific guest. Uh, today I've put together a panel of 
educators slash mentors in the short-term rental space that I have a lot of respect for. And we're going to talk about how to properly vet or how to choose uh, an educator or mentor, whether it's going to be a mastermind class or a mastermind or a course that you guys want to join. Um, there's been, there's a lot of noise out there and a lot of um, different things that have come up over the past few years. So we want to make sure that you guys are under, understand the best way to choose the course for you or the mastermind for you, how to match it up to your strategy and how to choose the right one. So I will go ahead and introduce my panel, Dr. Rachel Gainsbury. Why don't you go first? Absolutely. And thank you so much, Avery, for putting this out there. I wish this was here years ago when I was looking for mentors and coaches, because, you know, we all have probably fallen through scenarios where, you know, we may have not made the right decisions, just not having the insight on oh, what's going to be a good fit for us personally, I think is key. So with that being said, my name is Rachel. I'm a short-term rental investor in the luxury short-term rental space. And our properties that are in the suburban area are more of a mid-term rental uh, insurance strategy that has been really working well for us. Um, healthcare professional by day, I did step down from full-time uh, at my W-2. And I, I say- Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Super exciting. Yeah, healthcare professional by day, real estate investor by night is kind of my, um, my story there. Mom of two boys, I have a whole husband and three dogs, so doing all the things. So for me personally, I found it really important to strategize on how do I make investing work. And for me, it was to just niche in the uh, luxury space where I don't necessarily have to get, you know, 100 doors or even 50 doors to really turn a, a handsome profit. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you very much. We're really excited to have you. Uh, next, we'll hear from Bill Faith. Everybody, Bill Faith from Build Short-Term Rental Wealth. Um, I'm similar to Rachel. I'm not a doctor and I did not say the Holiday Inn select last night, but I'm in the luxury space. And it's kind of interesting. Rachel and I kind of first met on Clubhouse and we were like the black sheep because we we're the only ones that were like not doing arbitrage or co-hosting. And I actually got into co-hosting. So I own luxury space. I own uh, a co-hosting company. Um, I, uh, I've been in the real estate business. I've done commercial real estate. I built industrial uh, long term since literally I was 22 years old, which was a long, long time ago, over a quarter of a century. Um, I'm definitely the oldest person here. I'm almost 50. Um, I, uh, I'm a big believer in self-education. I had a full ride to UCLA on a golf scholarship and dropped out to turn professional after three and a half months. So I, I've had to self-educate myself through my entire entrepreneurial career uh, over the last 30 years. I'm currently a mastermind member of a pretty, Mike knows the mastermind that I'm in. Um, I've spent probably pretty close to $2 million, I would guess, in self-education over the last 20 to 25 years. And honestly, I think that's why I've been successful. I could echo exactly what Rachel said in, you know, vetting and, and looking into masterminds. I think one of the things that becomes super important is that you have to do the due diligence. Um, and I, I think when you, if you're going to invest into like a mastermind, which is usually a high ticket item, I think you have to go in and, and vet them as much as they're vetting you to join into their mastermind process and ask those questions. Uh, there's an, I'm, I'm just going to drop an interesting thing for, uh, for you, Avery, uh, a gentleman that you've actually sold a lot of properties to in the Smokies. We'll just call him SD out of Austin. You know who I'm talking about, probably very smart dude. 
he came to one of my boot camps and he was contemplating joining. And when he heard accountability groups and like benchmarking financials, he's like, dude, nobody's holding me accountable. I'm not joining. So he's a great investor and he's worked with you quite a bit. I wasn't the right fit, you know, for him and what he wanted. Him and I have become really good friends since then. So I think me personality wise and also structure wise, whether it's a course, whether it's a mentoring program, whether it's a mastermind, you've got to hit that on the head or you're going to be spinning your wheels and wasting money. Totally agree with that. I didn't know you were an, an ex-pro golfer. I actually lived the first several years of my life in a motorhome because my dad was a professional golfer for a while. Nice. Yeah. Then he became a chiropractor. <laughs> Probably made a lot more money as a chiropractor. Yep. Yep, I think that was that was the reason. <laughs> well, you're the next person you're gonna you know, know introduce in the lovely pink hoodie today. He's an aspiring golf professional, I believe. All right, well, let's hear from <laughs> Mr. Pink Hoodie himself, Mike Shogren. What's going on, guys? Uh, excited to be here, Mike Shogren, uh, based out of Boston, Massachusetts. I've been in short-term rentals, uh, it'll be five years now, actually, this summer. Uh, we've got a portfolio currently of 44 units across five different states. And pretty pumped this week. We actually just got a 52 unit hotel under contract yesterday. So we're starting due diligence on that. So really excited for that. Um, like Bill, I, I invest heavy in masterminds. Um, and that is continued to scale as my income has increased over the years. But now on average, I'm spending, I was doing the math the other day. I think I've spent like 120 grand on a couple di three different masterminds that I'm personally a member of. Um, and the, the primary thing that I always tell people <clears throat> when you're looking to join or get a mentor or join a program or whatever, there's kind of three different things that I look for. It's like, first off, what am I looking to get? Like, what is my objective by joining this? Has that person achieved that? Have they helped others achieve it? Cause there's a big difference between a good operator versus a good educator. Um, and then the other thing like Bill alluded to, do I jive with this person? Because I've, I've bought into some masterminds or programs where the person was brilliant, but like, I just didn't relate to them. Like whether it was their demeanors or the way that they coached or whatever. So it's like, am I going to be receptive to this person? And would I enjoy spending time with this person? Because you're going to spend time with the people in the mastermind, especially whoever the, the coach or mentor is. So it's very important to make sure you know what you want. Have they achieved that? Have they helped others achieve that? And then do I jive with this person? I think those are kind of the, the big things that I focus on. That's really good advice. And I have some questions for all of you. So I, when I started, there weren't really any, any types of courses or masterminds or anything like that in terms of short-term rentals, there were other types, I'm sure, but I came from a place of starting with very little money. So, you know, like $10,000 for a course to me was like, oh my God, mind blowing. Cause we were, uh, when we first started like dumping pennies out of the bottom of my purse to make that first down payment. So, um, I completely like self-educated, uh, not with a mastermind or course just out of necessity. Cause I couldn't afford to do it. So I think we're going to have like really be opposite ends of the spectrum here, which is great for the discussion. So let's start here. At what point does someone need a course or a mastermind group in their investing career? Go ahead, Mike. I mean, for me, I'm, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from Avery, where I've always, if I'm going to do something, like even Bill was busting my chops <clears> about <throat> the golf. Like when I wanted to get good at golf, I'm like, okay, right now or last year I was horrible. 
I set a goal. I'm like, I want to break 90 by the end of the year. So I find a mentor, the local pro. I follow what he tells me to do and I join the country club. So like I'm in an environment of every other person there is at a better level than me. So by osmosis, that alone is going to pull me up. And then working directly with that coach is going to get me to that goal a lot faster because they've done it. So it's, it's just like the fast lane. So that's the way I've always looked at it of like, could I figure it out on my own? Yeah, I, I definitely could. I, I believe that I could, but I'm always looking for like, what is that fast lane to catapult me to that level as quickly as possible? You just, Mike, you just said fast lane, right, Avery? And I think that's something that is absolutely fundamental. If somebody is looking to save time which and money, then you got to figure out how you're going to fast track that success. I mean, Mike talks about the club. So I've been a club pro. I've been a playing professional. Um, and I've, I, I started in business when I was 19 years, like legit. When I dropped out of UCLA, I couldn't make enough money playing golf. And, you know, literally I had to start my first business. And I think one of the things that, that I've seen a lack of in our space, you know, I started in, in 2015, is a lot of business principles haven't been applied until recently. It's just, oh, they're treating it like the second homes. And I think what happens is, and we see this on all of us have Facebook groups, right? We all have podcasts and YouTube channels and all this type of stuff. It's kind of the herd mentality. I think it's absolutely critical to choose a mentor and don't let a mentor choose you, right? And you have to do exactly what Michael said. You've got to, you got like Michael and I, we've, you know, we've done a partnership with a conference and everything, but we are so polar opposite personalities, right? And I think that's, it's, and I don't know if he likes me, but at least that's the attractive part, you know, to myself, kind of like myself and my wife, Rachel and Mike have met my, my wife. She's so quiet and reserved and, and introvert and I'm the exact opposite. But that doesn't necessarily work well between a mentor and a mentee, right? So I think really that choosing process is something that's absolutely critical, um, you know. And and I see a lot of people just like they, like everybody follows the herd in social and where to invest, right? So they follow the herd. Hey, follow Avery, follow Bill, follow Rachel, follow Julie, whatever. And that's not necessarily going to be the the best course uh, for them, in my opinion. I'm sure Rachel and, and Mike see that as well. Yeah. And I wanted to chime in as well. I am a little bit towards the Avery side when it comes to investing. I remember when I first invested in a mentor uh, and I think she was, it was a program that first payment was $387. And I agonized over that first payment. You know, it was my first experience with a mentor. And of course, my husband, my, you know, cohorts to tell me, well, all that information is free out there anyway, right? So when you're in that phase of life, I would say when you're tired of hunting and pecking, you're working probably 14 hour shifts at the hospital. Now you're going home to hunt and peck all over the interweb for information. You're going to piece together some Frankenstein of a process or business plan for a investment in $300,000 to $3 million property, that's when I think you really need to hit pause and say, wait a minute, if I'm looking to make this type of investment, wouldn't it be worth it for me to invest in a coach? So I did agonize about that first investment. I'm like, oh, am I even going to get this back in ROI? And it was $387. And now Mike, no, he and I, we compare <laughs> the amount we, you know, we spend upwards of five to six figures a month on coaching because that pay that re the return on that investment was tenfold within a month 
And then I was hooked. I was like, okay, my cash on cash return on this coach here that was $387 that first one hour was incredible. And so understanding, like Mike says, do you jive with the person, the chemistry for me? A chemistry has to be there. Specialism has to be there. I want someone who specialized specifically in the niche that I'm in because I like to specialize. That That's really what sets me apart. And the population that I serve is primarily other medical professionals, other doctors. So I understand the pain of having worked these long shifts and now you're going on YouTube University, you're going to spend another 30 hours on there in one night trying to accumulate this information and um, you know, get the fast lane, like I said, the fast lane, compress that learning curve, especially if it is a mentor who knows what they're doing and who has, you know, the experience who themselves are getting mentorship. I think that's important. Uh, so that's kind of my approach. At first I was doubtful. I'm a DIY girl all day long. I can do it myself. I put in my own flooring. Of course, it had to get redone, but you learn, right? I, I learned the more I try to do it myself, I end up paying more in the long term because it's not going to be with the level of expertise that I need it to be at. Avery, Rachel said something that I think is really important. And I live by a standard of, I, I love free education. I mean, I consume videos and podcasts and all that stuff like everybody else, but there's an element of knowing and being known that you don't get with any type of free content. And whether it's listening to this podcast or Mike's or Rachel's or mine or being in our group, if we don't have context behind the individual and their financial situation, their goals, all of those different types of things, the information is somewhat generic, right? Even if we're talking about literally specific tactical executional points. So I think one thing that I would highly recommend to everybody is I think the person, if the person that you're looking to have mentor you, whether it's free or paid, a mastermind, an online coach, whatever it is, if they're willing to invest to get to know you up front to really make a decision if it's the right fit for both parties, that's kind of my first telltale sign to be honest with you. Because I think there's just way too much free information that can't be applied without the contextual component of life goals, short-term goals, financial situation, uh, confidence levels, just a lot that goes into it. And I see Rachel and you shaking your head. Um, I mean, I think that's the thing. So like in my mastermind group, we have two rules. That's it. We have a no asshole policy and we have, you have to give more than you expect to receive. And I've kicked three people out of my mastermind, one for violating number one, the a-hole policy, two for just not giving enough because that's really, you have to be a giver as a coach. I know everybody here is a giver, but you have to be willing to, and this is the key word that the mentor, the coach has to be willing to invest to really understand you. I always go back to Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You have to be able to complete your student and the student needs to really feel that from you as a mentor, in my opinion. That's really that's really great advice. So the real value is being able to learn from others who have already done it, learning from their mistakes, learning what to do. And oftentimes uh, more, like more valuable to know what not to do than what to do. So there's definitely a lot of value in that. And then Bill, you hit on free content. And this is that's something that I want to talk about. So I have kind of a unique perspective on things because I'm on the real estate sales side. So I kind of see the end result of all of the coaching out there in our different clients. And 
sometimes what I'll see, especially because podcasts are really, really, really beneficial, especially if you're new, you know, you are like a vacuum just sucking up all of the content and all of the knowledge that you can from everywhere, even if you haven't necessarily decided to pay for a course yet. And what can happen that I've noticed is that podcasts are full of people's like big fish story. That one time that they got this really crazy deal that they're never going to get again in their life that they talk about. And then people listen to that and then they come to us and then they say thing like they they're looking for that big fish in every single deal. They don't understand that that particular type of thing that's just the absolute perfect thing might not come along all the time. So they're kind of letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And what I'm getting at, my question for you guys is how does somebody choose the strategy? Because there's lots of strategies within short-term rentals. So how would someone make sure that they're not trying to mix too many strategies? Because, you know, different coaches, even within the short-term rental space, kind of teach different things. And not everyone is going to be in the same financial position, time of their life, et cetera. So certain metrics for success might not be right for some people, but they're right for others. So how do you vet what strategy might work for you and what mentor might be best for that without actually going ahead and buying the course and then saying, oh gosh, this might not be the right thing. I think um, the, the first thing that we ask when people apply for our mastermind is what is your goal? And I think the it's so important because it's fascinating. Like 99.9% .9 of people have a generic answer of I want financial freedom or I want to travel. Like those are the two most common ones. And it's like, okay, cool. But what does that mean? Is that 5,000 a month? Is that 10,000 a month? Is that 30,000 a month? Like what is the number that you need to, to quit your job or travel or whatever it is? Depending on what that number is, then what your financial situation looks like, it's just a math equation at that point of like, okay, maybe you've got enough capital to do one deal. And then if you want to accelerate it, cool, then you can get into co-hosting and build up that management side of the house to accelerate the cash flow. Or it, it really, like Bill was alluding to, it really depends on what someone's unique situation is. So like, if somebody wants to learn rental arbitrage, I'm like, that's not my jam. Go talk to my buddy, TJ Tajani. That's, that's his jam all day long. Like he's your guy for that. People are looking to get into boutique hotels or Dubai or to really scale the co-hosting stuff. I'm like, cool. Like I'm your guy, but there's certain niches for certain things that like go find somebody that's really focused on that. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it's, it's hard to, hard to go find that right mentor. I agree with that. And one thing that I see specifically, so every mentor has a different threshold for what constitutes a good deal. Uh, you know, Rachel, I'm sure since you have a lot of medical professionals, a lot of those people are going to be really high worth people that aren't necessarily looking for that highest cash flow so much as they're looking for more of the tax benefits on the back end. So what advice would you guys have? Or well, let me actually back up. While some people who might not be in that same boat are just looking to get a certain amount of cash flow so that they can go buy their next deal. Uh, what advice do you guys have for people who are mixing the metrics a little too much? So what I mean by that, I'll give an example. So uh, we've had people before who will say, okay, I need it to be a 25% cash on cash return. We're like, great, cool. We can do that. And then we start looking at something and they'll say, but I really need it to cash flow X amount per month 
So I'm going to have to put down more money to make it cash flow that much. And so then I kind of have to explain, well, is cash on cash return your goal or cash flowing X amount per month? Because those two things are inverse, inversely related. So uh, what do you guys, what advice do you guys have in terms of how to choose which metric is right for you at the time? Go ahead, Rach, and then I'll follow up behind you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, love, love this question because that is a strategy that has helped many in a, of our community get anywhere from 80% to 200% ROI with the tax strategies that you mentioned a little bit earlier. And so since my specialization is W-2 higher income earners, medical professionals who typically get a paycheck month after month and who get, you know, the shorter end of the stick when it comes to the tax code, we leverage those strategies and even educating them on those strategies is the key for me. So if the numbers do not shake out where it's looking like a 25 or 30% cash on cash, well, let's look at it holistically. Are there tax benefits, you know, that we can leverage for that particular individual to make sure that they're taking advantage of those before the deadline hits? I, we need a property in operation before the end of the year. We need to place it under service. And the reason I know that is because, again, my specialization is you know, medical professionals like myself. I've done it myself. My members of my community have done it. So that's my jam. But if someone comes to me who's been an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur for the past 30 years, I may not know those things. You know, Bill could speak to what are some advantages there. But my main, you know, area of expertise and my specialization are those higher income W-2 earners who are looking for one or two luxury space. And we have, you know, Amanda Hahn, Yona Weiss, all of those folks, Brandon Hall, who uh, Ryan Bakey, who we work with to help make sure that they are understanding whether or not they will, you know, um, will qualify for material participation, check, check those things off. And again, if you know anything about me, medical professional, if an individual is looking for that type of coach, look at where they are in life. Are they a W-2 coach? Have they worked a W-2 over the last five years or so? Or have they been a, a serial entrepreneur over the last 30 years? Because I will tell you, healthcare professionals in particular, we don't go into medicine to leave medicine. It's kind of an anomaly, right? So when I'm speaking to members of my community, the goal is not for them to quit their jobs. The goal is to just kind of cut back and like reduce that burnout a little bit. So if you're, you're, you're in my same position, if you're my type of I would say avatar and you're meeting with a coach that says, quit your job today, quit your job today. That's not going to resonate. That may not be the coach for you. The numbers may look great, but is that your goal to quit your job today? Or are you just looking to cut back a little bit? So did that answer your question, Avery? I felt like I went kind of <laughs> around the world in that. No, yeah, absolutely. And okay. I love the around the world. Everybody, you know, we want to hear more <laughs> things, not less things. So I love it. I'm, I'm going to piggyback really on both of what they said. And I want to start, go back to what Mike said. I think you have to have a long-term plan. Um, one of my mentors, John Bairden, who is a two-time Fortune 500 uh, CEO, he's retired. Um, I was in an organization, I think all of us have probably heard of EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, had a negative experience within my forum. Uh, seven months later, left, took the three high achievers with me, started my own mastermind uh called Spark because we weren't getting that spark, right? And it has nothing against EO. It just has everything to do. We had a forum to where we had four underachievers and three high achievers. 
So I think one of the big things is you need to know if you're a high achiever or an underachiever, to be honest with you, because we don't get along very well. All of us are probably high achievers. Going back to what Mike said, um, John Baird helped me build this. And it wasn't, to, I don't sell this. It's not like I'm trying to promote anything. But one of the big things was, was clarity into this first thing. And it's creating your top three life goals. So I know what my financial goals are. I know what date I'm going to retire. I know how much liquidity I need. I know how much debt I'm going to be tolerable with. My wife and I meet, if I went through that planner every Friday, tomorrow at lunch from two to four o'clock is the only time I'm never accessible. We meet to literally measure where we're at on a weekly basis and make decisions together. So I think having that type of un unilateral, really unification uh, to where if, if you're married, you and your spouse are on the same plane. Uh, that's number one. And you got to make sure that the coach, the mentor, the whatever is going to align with that. As Rachel was saying, I spoke to a gentleman, you know, Neil, I won't say his last name, Rachel, last night. And he's asking to invest in this syndication that I'm putting together. He's looking strictly for passive investment and tax benefit. He's like, I don't care if it's 7% uh, PREF, if it's 9% PREF, 15% IRR. I know I'm probably using terms some people don't know, but he doesn't care. He's like, I just want the benefit of the accelerated depreciation and the cost egg on the back end to offset his W-2. Because his real estate portfolio is generating too much income and the, the cost egg goes to that income first and he's not carrying enough forward to his W-2. Um, so I think that it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. You've got to interview the people. You've got to make sure they're aligned. A lot of people that Rachel works with, even though we're both in the luxury space, it doesn't make sense because my mentality is a 27... Uh, time startup guy and a you know lifelong entrepreneur is completely different than most of Rachel's clients, right? So our avatar, a lot of people think, oh, Bill, you're in the luxury space. Rachel, you're in the luxury space. We don't compete for clients at all. There might be, as with any Venn diagram, there's a section in the middle to where there's going to be some crossover, but we're not competitive. And I think that becomes really, really important. So like my whole jam is that tax stuff. I've got Ryan Bakey and my mastermind. I've got you know, Jeff Hampton, we're talking about liability protection. All the stuff is you build and you go from having a net worth of zero to half a million to a million. I want you to start thinking in these incremental terms when you get to like one to five and then you ascend to where I'm at at like 10 plus. That's a whole different strategy. And I think a lot of people don't understand all three of those. For me, it come back, comes back to the mentors that I've chosen and my very first one was a guy that taught me how to play golf when I was 12 years old. And I think we all have the ability to surround, choose who we want to surround ourselves with. And we can choose a mentor if we do it appropriately. We don't have to allow them to choose us. And honestly, I know we all have paid programs here. I don't, I also don't believe that you need to be in one of our paid programs. There's a lot of benefits to it if you can afford it and cost justify it and get that return that Rachel was talking about. But when Mike and I did our conference with a thousand uh, hosts, a thousand attendees in June, remember Mike, when we were talking about join four, Rachel, you were there, four or five people that are on that same path with yourself. You don't necessarily have to plunk down five, 10, 15, 25,000, but you got to make sure that you are aligned mentally and also with that outcome. And most importantly, the commitment level. And that's the thing that I see that fails in any of these components is the commitment. You know, we all have courses, we all have masterminds. The problem is, is that less than 30% of people that buy a course, whether it's five lessons 
or like product launch formula, which, you know, it's 57 hours to go through. They don't finish. So you got to commit to yourself. And if you do that first, then I see that most of the high qualified, highly qualified mentors and coaches will commit to you. That was a mic dropper. <laughs> yes, a whole word indeed. Uh, yeah, you yeah. got to do your part also. That was a good <laughs> one, Bill. Yeah, you do have to do your part. And so I think the thing, listeners, that all three of these guys are saying is that listen to where the person who's giving you the advice is in life. Are they coming from the same place as you? Is Does your life look like theirs? And I'm not talking about like, do you live in the same kind of house? I'm talking about, are you coming for this, from the same mindset? Like, Rachel with the medical professionals, Bill with the entrepreneurs. So you want to look at the similarities to yourself and is this strategy that they're coaching on going to be something that's going to work for you? Because I mean, there's strategies out there that aren't going to work for everyone. I've had people come to us and say, hey, I want to, I want to do rental arbitrage in the Smoky Mountains. Can you help me? Well, that's probably not going to work. So you have to match the strategy to the market as well, which brings me to my next question that I want to hear from each of you. Should an investor choose a market first and then pick a strategy that works for it? Or should they choose the strategy first and find a market that fits their strategy? Mike, you want to go first? Sure. Sure. Hang on. If nobody told me this was going to be a game show, we got to <laughs> like, turn you around on the voice or something. Uh, for me, I think it, I think it's, figuring out what your strategy is first, starting with your goal, because I'm going to be real. Like I built up a, a good size co-hosting business because I didn't have a lot of cash and I needed to get out of my job as quickly as possible. So I offered a service to, to run these properties, right? A lot of people are not going to want to do that and be quote unquote accountable to an investor. So like, it sounds sexy to raise money and I've raised money and bills raise money and all, all these different things to raise money from investors and do different deals. But there's also a lot of responsibility that goes with that. So like, it, it really depends on what your goal is. And most importantly, what is the ideal lifestyle that you're trying to create for yourself? Because for most people that I speak to, their ideal lifestyle is somewhere between 12 and 25 grand. Like that would be a life-changing amount of income that would give them the exact lifestyle that they want, few hours of work a week, implement a couple people on your team, get the right systems in place, and then you can do whatever the hell you want. You don't need to have 40, 50, 100 units like Rachel was talking about, but you need to know what the hell the goal is first. And then to Avery's point, people are like, why didn't you do any arbitrage? And I was like, honestly, because I didn't have the money to do it at the beginning. Like, I had a kid in the hospital with huge medical, but like I was strapped. So like there was no money to even do that. But then at the same time, like a lot of the markets that I'm in, some of those vacation markets, the arbitrage play tends to work well in urban and suburban markets. Nobody's going to rent me a property in Kissimmee, Florida near Disney for two grand a month when they know I'm going to turn around and rent that thing for 10 or 20 grand a month. It's just not, it doesn't fly like that down there. So it, it is very market dependent, like Avery was saying, like it's not as likely that you're going to scale up an arbitrage business in the Smokies, right? But if you're in Houston or Dallas or any like major metro like that, or even on the outskirts of some of those metros, yeah, that'll make more sense. The only other thing that I didn't mention earlier that I just wanted to bring up, because I think this is super important. 
when it comes to paying for education, if you're going to offer this service as a management or co-hosting business and investors are trusting you with their money, you should be obligated to get some type of education. Look at any other type of trade out there, whether it's stockbrokers, life insurance, financial advisors, they all have to go through some type of curriculum to make sure that they're educated so that they know what the hell they're doing before they take other people's money. What really burns me is like people will go on and get a bunch of free stuff and then just wing it with somebody else's property. If you want to wing it on your own, go nuts, but don't throw somebody else's pension or 401k in the mix because you don't want to invest a few grand in yourself. That to me is crap. Throw it on a credit card if you don't have the cash. I didn't have cash and I still found a way to do it with credit cards at the beginning. So like if you're going to offer yourself as a service and manage other people's assets, you better take it seriously. If Ryan Panetta can I do totally it on agree. credit cards, uh, anybody can, right? Um, <laughs> Avery, I think one thing that I firmly believe in and in the last 13 years of my life, I have completely re-architected it, restructured my entire life. I think every one of us as human beings have the choice in how we want to architect our life. So it's funny when the, th the three of us, meaning Rachel, Michael, and I all met on Clubhouse, uh, I guess it's been almost two years ago. Um, and I, I said earlier, Rachel and I were kind of the black sheep because everybody was arbitraging, everybody, everybody was managing, everybody was co-hosting there there was nobody talking about investing in the you know high-end properties except for her and I I think if I'm if I'm, my memory serves me correctly um and at one time in my career I owned 17 properties that doesn't sound a lot like a lot compared to Michael's whatever 40 or 50 doors he's and was it 45 doors and you're under contract for 52 so he's literally going to double the number of doors in one deal I've never been inter interested in that I started with a $127,000 investment that I saved up to buy my first beach house. And I, it took me two years of saving the cash flow out of that investment and for my other businesses to generate enough cash to buy number two. And then I've never had to make a payment on any of my properties. The problem is, as I grew too big, I've actually scaled back on my ownership piece because I don't want to say I was making too much money, but it was taking more than 10 hours a week of my time. And a lot of people that aren't really into the tech and the scaling and that type of stuff will say 10 hours a week. I was making over $400,000 a year net income off of my portfolio at that time. But I was getting to 15, 20 hours a week. My goal when I started this was for it to be passive. And short-term rentals, as the four of us know, is not really passive. Um, you can have all the VAs in the world and all the automation in the world. It's still going to take us uh, to be involved. So when I re-architected my life in 2015 and I set those goals that Michael was talking about financially, personally, as a father, all those types of things, I set everything out because I'm a big believer. If we don't have the outcome, if we don't have the exact date, Michael says, and he's 100% correct, everybody that comes to a coach, I want financial freedom. I want to travel the world. Okay, well, that's the plane flying around the airport at 30,000 feet. Let's bring it down to 10,000 and then let's get even more specific and put it on the runway. Because if we don't do that, we can't make daily and weekly decisions to be able to obtain that outcome, right? That's where we have to architect and get, just create your own drinking game. And every time you say the word specific or specificity, take a drink. Because if you don't get specific, you are just going to prance around. And that specificity is what led me to knowing I did. I came out of a ground transportation industry, right? You're measured by how many vehicles you own. 
And I think in our industry, you are your credibility in many cases is how many units do you have? Well, I own freaking properties. I don't own a unit. I don't have a one bedroom or a two bedroom. There's nothing wrong with units. But for me, I believe that the same amount of work goes into $150,000 single unit with even more turns as it does when Rachel and I now have the ability because of smart decisions we've made in our investing strategies to buy a million or $2 million properties. Mike's got a monstrosity he just purchased and renovated down in Orlando uh, that's crushing it. I see the benchmarks in my mastermind and literally the happiest members are the ones that are doing 50,000, $60,000, $70,000 a month in revenue out of one property and not having to have 20 or 30 to be able to do that. That doesn't mean it's right for everybody. It took me seven years to get to that point, seven years of growing. And this is the key part out of cash flow. I'm not a hedge fund guy. I didn't have a hundred million dollars. I know Rachel didn't. I know Michael didn't. I've read your book. I know your story. Even though it's the first time that we've actually met, you didn't either. And I think that should resonate with those 23, 24 year olds that are coming out of college that see shiny key syndrome right now. The first thing you have to do is get your plan together. And then the second thing is figure out your strategy. You can do what all of us has done in arbitrage, co-hosting, management, or owning, or a combination of all of it. And that's the interesting thing is I now co-host. Mike had some influence on me co-hosting. Noble Crawford did. TJ Tajani did. Julie George did. It was literally all because of the social media platform Clubhouse. Well, now I've got a co-hosting business with nine properties. The average property is doing this year going to do $212,000 a year. Well, factor in 20% in a $300 a month uh, you know, retainer fee and figure out, you know, kind of what income that's going to be. So I'm a believer is the way that Mike started. If you have no cash right now, co-hosting is the absolute best place to start, but you better invest into yourself just to echo what, what Mike has said. Um, but it all starts with one understanding you can architect your own outcome by doing that with your life and, and having the end game planned. It's really hard when you're 23, 24, 25 years old because I know I probably sound like your father and I'm probably old enough to be your father. But look, imagine Tom Brady and Peyton Manning going 99 yards and going in, into this, you know, thing that says Patriots in the end when they cross the line and there's no more hash marks. In the other end, it says Colts, but they don't get any points when they go in. And then they just hand the ball to the other guy and they go to the other end and they go and there's no points. There's no score. There's no clock. You got to keep score. You got to have a clock. You got to have an literally an outcome. If you don't have those three things, you don't have a plan and you're probably not going to be successful. Yeah. You're right about that. Rachel, you have something? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love everything. <laughs> Bill and Mike. Totally. And I didn't want to chime in also. So I've had uh, members of the community come in during our interview. We do have an application process as well in our a coaching program because of course you want there to be chemistry you want there to be a good vibe and you want to make sure it's a good fit for them and it's a good fit for the group I'm really protective of our community and they come in they want to either co-host they want to arbitrage or something like that and so my question is typically why you know why do you want to go down that path there's nothing wrong with that i don't talk about it a lot but i co-host and i have two arbitrage as well it's actually my son's arbitrage deals that he's doing and i'm but mama's name is on it because he's 14. but <laughs> nevertheless 
I asked them why. And so like, like Bill said, they heard a podcast, they heard something online and it's all this cash flow. And so it takes me back to my own story. When I was looking for financial freedom, I had my husband and I, between the two of us, he's a psychotherapist. We had worked like five jobs at one point between the two of us to get out of those student loans. It was an insane amount of student loans. And so I thought to myself, okay, now that that's behind us, what is a great path to cash that's not going to take a lot of time? It's cheap to learn about. It's easy and it's going to be wonderful. So obviously I said wholesaling. Everyone's talking about wholesaling, right? Oh my goodness, turns out you're buying yourself a whole job because it does take time to build a wholesaling business. And if you're going to do it yourself, the cheap route, it's going to be a lot of time capital, right? And so what is your why? If you're telling me your why is time freedom, if you're telling me your why is you want to be your own boss, if you're telling me your why is you don't want to answer to anyone, you want to cut back on that in your life, and then you tell me you want to do co-hosting, well, like Mike says, you have to be beholden to the investor. With arbitrage, you have to be beholden to the landlord. You know, So those are the parts that I think it's really important when you're looking for a coach and you're looking for that alignment, you want to ask that coach, what is your favorite thing about this strategy? And what do you, what is your least favorite thing about this strategy? And that coach had better be honest with you and tell you, yes, it is a lot of time capital that I'm spending in the beginning until you build up your team. You spend a lot of time in a sort of a grind, just be completely honest. There are uh, investors and homeowners who are very pushy. They don't want to make the updates that, that are required to generate the revenue they want to get. The neighbor's getting that revenue because the updates are better, you know? And so if they're not wanting to make those updates, that's going to be a point of contention. So my, I implore you, when you speak with your potential coach, your potential mentor, ask them and Ask them for specific examples. What do you do when things go wrong with your strategy? How do you optimize? What happens when you know you can't make enough to cover the bills? What, what do you change? What, and they should be able to tell you some great stories as well as some horror stories too, because you know what? I've been through some horror stories as well. So I think that's really important. Absolutely. Man, we need to do like an hour and a half show with you guys. So much knowledge being dropped. Uh, all really, really great advice. So I'm going to change the subject really quick because um, I want to ask you guys a few more things about just things that I see on the back end when people are in the buying process. Um, so one thing that I see is the data versus studying tourist behavior. The, there's a push and pull there. So for I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, you know, last year, crazy year, like my rescue chihuahua that came from the Target parking lot under my desk right now could have rented a short-term rental and made money no matter where it was. So um, now this year, things are a little bit different, kind of getting back to normal. And we were seeing people that wanted to buy things that we would not traditionally recommend. And we would say like, you know, we wouldn't typically recommend this. And to give an example, I always throw brick ranch homes under the bus. Nothing wrong with a brick ranch home, but in most of our markets and our mountain markets, people want to be in a cabin. In our beach markets, they want to be beach house, condo, walkable to the beach. So people would look at data, which data is wonderful. There's so many great data tools out there now. So what they would do is they would take a property, say, like we'll, we use Gulf Shore since everybody here is familiar with that. They're looking at Gulf Shore's numbers and they're saying, hmm, okay, I think I'm going to buy a mobile. 
And Mobile, for those of you who don't know, is just right on the other side of the bay from Gulf Shores. And what they would do is say, well, I'm about 45 minutes. I think it's a little further than that. So I'm just fudging numbers here. I'm 45 minutes from Gulf Shores. So this property is only an eighth of the price of these Gulf Shores properties. And I should be able to, you know, even if I'm making less than those, these numbers are crazy. This is like 150% cash on cash return. But what they're doing, they're looking only at the data and not at what tourists look for and the tourist behavior in that market. So the tourists aren't saying, oh, I'm not going to rent in Gulf Shores. I'm going to go into Mobile because it's 45 minutes away, but I can get a cheaper place. That's not the case. The people who are going to Mobile are going to Mobile to do something. They're going to Mobile to do business. They're not going to Mobile to go to Gulf Shores. And what tourists will do, there are plenty of junky places that are super cheap right on the beach that they can rent. They're not going to go 45 minutes away to save money. They're just, you know, my, my mother would stay in a Porta John on the beach because it's on the beach. And I think that most people going to that market to go on vacation to the beach, that's what they're that's, you know, that's going to be what they're looking for. So I want to ask you guys, so this person was really, really hung up on, this is going to be a really good deal because it's so much cheaper. And he's using Gulf Shores numbers to run on a mobile property, which is actually two entirely different markets. So what do you guys think? What is most important data or studying tourist or guest behavior on what they want to rent? All right, I'm jumping in because you just sparked my fire with Gulf Shores down there. That's Jump the in. Market I've <laughs> ever invested into, and I think it's a really great analogy because it's it's literally the difference between tier two and tier three. Now you're talking about going from a vacation rental market to an industrial market. Essentially, um, there is absolutely no comparison between those two whatsoever. Um, it's interesting that you bring this up, Avery, because I don't know if you've heard of Bill and Kenny's hot picks, but uh, Kenny Bedwell from SDR Insights and myself, um, Kenny's the data guy. I mean, I'm a data-driven investor as well, but I'm the color commentator. I'm the one that put the design and the amenities and the marketing piece and all of those stuff uh, into the Bill and Kenny's hot picks side. So I'm a huge believer that you have to select a market and then... You should use data to select a market. You should use data to even select a location or an individual property. But then you have to do the comparison. You kind of uh, uh, named it the, the enemy method in your book, you know, which yes, I know you're my, my favorite book of all time in short term. <laughs> Thank you. I do have to give the enemy method credit to my husband, Luke. That was his name. So the, uh, I, I think you have to look at both, right? So I think you have to use data to, to look at a market. You use Gulf Shores as an example. I've got nine properties down there um, and I'm not investing there today. It's still overpriced. I put in an offer on an eight bedroom duplex um, that was listed at one nine at one six. They contemplated it. The, the data doesn't work at one six five. I have no room to negotiate. Right. But the reason there's no room to negotiate is because of exactly where it's located. So I think you have to use data, but you have to look at the intangibles. One thing most people don't know is in March of 2023, Gulf Shores Airport, which has been known as Jack Edwards Airport for however, 45 years, it's been private. It's public. The first commercial airline flight starts on March 2nd of 2023. And if you know what happened when Panama City Beach opened and Southwest started going in there. 
what that's what's going to happen. So when Avery talks about like the tourist component that's going in, one, you should be looking at Google Trends. Where are people coming from if you don't own a property in that market? Two, you should be going to the Chamber of Commerce, the state, the city. You should understand what's happening with compression events, the tourism, where are they coming from? Gulf Shores, as an example, has a lot more compression events than Dustin does just because of their soccer complexes that they have, their cheerleading competitions, the event venues that they have at the wharf and oh, and all these other places that should be part of your research that goes into those markets. So the only reason I went to when I knew nothing about short term rentals in 2015 is a dear friend of mine who was in my wedding and I played professional golf with him. His family's owned over probably 60% of Destin. They literally owned over 400 houses and they manage over a thousand to this day. And he said, six, my name, but my nickname was six pack. And he said, you, that wasn't because I had abs, by the way. Uh, he said, you, you can't afford, we're having lunch in Seaside. You can't afford here. I said, I have a 127,000 bucks. My wife wants to see the water, smell it and hear it. He's all go to Gulf Shores. It's the Redneck Riviera. So that was the tier two market. I couldn't afford there. I went there. I didn't know anything like what we're talking about. I didn't use AirDNA, SDR Insights, any of that type of stuff. It was all gut feeling at that point. I'm a big believer that the ancillary component of tourism research, uh, compression event research, and then all the other stuff you learn by doing the enemy method is just as important as the hardcore data when selecting a market and an individual property. Boom, who wants to go next? <laughs> No, it's, I think Bill, for me, Bill has covered it. It's so important to look at what is that um, edge that those properties have that are generating that type of revenue. It's not just proximity, right? And where we see it the most is with the Zillow home values of a particular market. So Zillow home values, the average home value in Gulf Shores, if you guys check it, guess what it is? It's 400 and $25,000 for Gulf Shores. And so knowing what we know about the amount of revenue you can generate from STRs, you know, annually, that's like a 60% ROI or 70% cash on cash return, depending on the type of product that you're getting. But the Zillow home values is not isolating short-term rental property, right? It's first time home buyers. It's that trailer that's all the way on the other side. So it's everything. And that is where I think the big disconnect is. So if someone's going to go into Gulf Shores and extrapolate mobile uh, data, you know, for that entire market and think that they're going to generate that type of revenue, no. But if you go ahead, like um, Kenny does with STR Insights, if you isolate it down to this market, these are the top or closer to the top STR uh, properties and those home values. If you look, you look at that. It's not four hundred thousand. Those home values are closer to eight hundred, nine hundred, one point, you know, two, one point three. So that is the biggest difference, and that is the biggest disconnect. So are we beachfront? Do you know? Do you have special amenities? Are the homes, you know, built in a certain way? Does it look like that cookie cutter single family home, or is it a cabin? Uh, when we're talking about the mountain regions, is it a beach house with views all around? You know, those porches that kind of wrap around. So these are the things: the proximity to the beach, the amenities, the bicycles. All of those things matter, and. You're absolutely right. It's not just looking at data. The data is where I start. But when it's time to 
add some money to the table, I have to get granular and look at the aesthetic or the potential for the aesthetic at that property. Look at how it's positioned. I even do a I'll drop my pen and walk around the neighborhood virtually. You know, I want to see what everything looks like. What does the neighbor's house look like? What does the whole, whole neighborhood look like, right? I'm going to do a Google before I put any money in a deal. And then I want to understand what it, what are the guests in that area asking for and speaking about? So I love seeing negative reviews, you know? I want to see what the complaints are because those are the, my opportunity, right? That's the opportunity if the complaints were, well, you know, it's right by a train track or, you know, the, whatever it may be, do I have an opportunity to improve upon that? So looking at all of those things, I think is really important, both the data as well as the intangibles, so to speak. Also great advice. Mike, what do you have? Sorry, I just had a, fleet of harleys ride by so i was trying to say i'll mute for an extra second there um <laughs> yeah i mean just an example right like the house that bill was talking about that i bought in Kissimmee back in december part of what i did for due diligence was selfishly i wanted a place down there i've got a six-year-old i want to be able to take him to disney i never had that opportunity as a kid i think we went once when i was like five and that was it right and i was like this this would be amazing to make memories there but then it all comes back to the numbers. So I bought all the raw data from AirDNA for every property in that zip code that I wanted to be in. And I analyzed it for like two and a half weeks. All right, what's a one bedroom bring in on average in this community? What's a two bedroom? What's a three bedroom? What's a four bedroom? What's a five bedroom? And after doing that and analyzing a bunch of different communities and then cross-checking that with one of the agents who I work with a lot, who's in my mastermind down there, who knows what communities are popping. So again, having a good relationship with your broker and your agent that you trust to help you navigate that. I found a big, once you got over 10 bedrooms, there was a huge jump in revenue. It wasn't just like this granular jump. It was like, whew, like it took off. So then I narrowed down the three communities that we wanted to be in that had the highest revenue generating potential. And then I started analyzing what are the top properties doing in those communities? And a lot of them had these crazy themes with tube slides and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, how can I do this better? And so we hired a couple of Disney's Imagineers. And again, it was not cheap to do this, but this was five years in and we had built up some cash and doing all this stuff. But it was like, if I had just, if I hadn't gone that extra to build these crazy Star Wars movie theater and avatar game room and Mario tube slide and all this crazy stuff in this house, that property is going to produce a 30% cash on cash return because it stands head and shoulders above any other house in my community. So I know it's scary and you may not want to do this for your first deal or two, but like if I had gone in nervous and just, you know, I'm just going to buy this little four bedroom and maybe put some wallpaper on the wall, you're going to get crushed because you're not going to compete. So like if you want to get into a market like Kissimmee or the Smokies or Gulf Shores or anywhere that's hot, you can still make money. There's always deals, but you have to understand what is driving those top dollars and are you willing to make the investment to get it to that caliber? So really understanding, I always like to look at what the top properties do because I'm like, what can I learn from these properties? Really, really good advice. So guys, if you're listening, three of the top mentors in the space just said that while data is very, very important, of course, it's only part of the picture when you're choosing a property. So what, what I've seen 
in the past several times over the course of my career is people wanting to buy a 70s brick ranch home in the Smokies or in Destin that's on the wrong side of Highway 98, has to be the south side, and saying, but the numbers really make sense. And I have to say something like, I will, we will get this property for you if this is what you really want, but I don't recommend this just because it's cheaper. And then they'll say something like, well, you're a real estate agent. You just want to make more money on the commission. No, <laughs> I actually, you know, I don't need that extra $300 or whatever it would be on the commission. What I want is for you to be successful. And there's a reason that the more desirable properties are more expensive, unless you're looking at a rehab property. So I've had some people that have bought stuff that I didn't recommend in the past and they totally proved me wrong. And I am all about that. I would love that is a happy surprise. But what is not a good, not a surprise, what's bad is when it's not a surprise. And we say, you know, if this is really what you want to do, we'll help you do it. But this is not really what we recommend. And they buy something a little too far out, you know, last year, just in the interest of being able to get a property at all. And then they're selling it this year because now things have kind of gotten back to normal. It, it doesn't do what, it, what a better property would have done. So everybody who's listening, everything these guys just said, take it, like listen to this podcast several times, not because it's my podcast and I have anything that interesting to say, but we have three experts that have really given us a lot of really good information over the last hour. Maybe we should do this again sometime. But in the interest of respecting everyone's time, because we've locked off an hour for this, uh, I have three questions that I ask everyone on the show at the end. Rachel's been through this before, but the other guys have not. Uh, so we'll just go in order. The first one is what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Bill, we'll start with you. Start sooner. It's really that simple. People get in the mindset of getting ready to get ready and everything's got to be perfect. And people are scared shitless right now uh, because of the interest rates and inflation and an impending election coming up. Um, there's never a bad time to buy real estate. I'm going to say that one more time. There's never, ever, 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 we'll start singing Taylor Swift. No, just kidding. Uh, there's never a bad time to buy real estate. There's only bad times to sell, uh, to be honest with you. And if you use the right research tools and the stuff that Rachel and Mike and I just talked about over the last four to five minutes, um, and run some performas to where you, if you do enough due diligence on the front end, you will not make a bad decision. And there's enough people just with these four people here in our free Facebook groups and access to get feedback to where you don't make a bad decision. But there's start now. Don't wait. Don't get ready to get ready. It's never really a bad time. Great advice. Mike, what do you say? I would tell myself, um, stop chasing the formal education. I spent six years in my twenties getting an MBA and then a CPA license and all this stuff and start looking for street smart mentors and get clear on the lifestyle that I want to have. Like I wasted a lot of time. I don't want to say I wasted, but I spent a lot of time in my twenties chasing that like CPA partner track. But then when I took a step back and evaluated, I'm like, I don't even want this. Like, what am I doing? Right. I should have thought that through before. Instead, I had some amazing teachers in college that like encouraged me. They're like, dude, you're really good with math. You should be a CPA. Like you make good money. I'm like, all right, well, I guess that makes sense. I'm 18. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So I listen to these guys. So, um, and just have confidence in yourself. Like you don't need to go and get all these degrees and do all this crap. Find somebody that you resonate with. That's at the level that you want to be and go work for them for free. Do whatever you got to do, add value and just carve your own path. Rachel. 
Um, I would tell my 20 year old self to figure out what you really want, like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and make decisions based on that and not out of fear. And so a lot of it comes from a mindset perspective, um, not really focusing on the investment strategies, just really being afraid of the student loans, honestly. And I spent years and years and years paying that off where looking back now, I probably would have repositioned um, some of that activity that I was doing, like burning myself to a crisp with all of those hours worked. I think if I had started investing sooner, uh, that would have changed you know, that path. But hey, I still have a good story to tell. And I'm pretty relatable because of it. But I would have started sooner as well. I think we all would have. <laughs> all right. Second question, similar to the first one, but looking for a different answer. So what advice would you guys give to a new investor who's getting started today, beginning of fall 2022? Weird time in the market. What advice would you give them, Bill? I... That, that's that's a tough one. I mean, because it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about knowing and being known. Um, I just got to give you general advice. I think you need to really pay attention to the last 10 to 15 minutes. If you're at this point in the podcast, and like Avery said, listen to it three or four times. You do need the data. You do need the performers. Uh, you do need to look at, at the ancillary components that go in the tourism, the traffic. I So here's the one thing I'll tell you. I, I'm investing multiple millions of dollars right now into Hot Springs, Arkansas, because the market's closing in like 60 days on November 1st. Um, and they have a lot of opportunity for multifamily and motels that we can convert into boutique hotels. I'm not buying luxury properties right now because I'm afraid that we might take another 20% hit on the single family homes. You own, That's only going to affect you if you're, if you're can't, if you don't have your carry cost budget and you have to sell quickly. But I have changed my investing strategy. So I would tell Anybody that's looking to go in right now to be be cautious, know your numbers and look at the ancillary components and make sure you have at least three traffic drivers. So I think LJ and Blue Ridge, North Georgia is a great example of a place not to invest into. Right now, in my opinion, all the numbers are down across the board. They don't have the traffic drivers that, you know, the, the Banner Elk or Boone area where I'm invested or you know, in Gatlinburg, they don't have Dollywood. They don't have the stuff, all the attractions in Gatlinburg and the Smokies. You got to have multiple traffic drivers. So I'll just use Hot Springs, Arkansas, because nobody's investing there, right? You have the lake, you got a state park, you've got casino, uh, you've got a uh, horse track four months out of the year, and you got bathhouses. Literally five major traffic drivers for all the rednecks in Central America and the central part of the US. That's where they're going. It's a true year round market, just like where I am. So you got to look at the traffic drivers to make sure if you lose one, then you're not going to lose everything you have backups for the traffic. Really, really great advice. I like that. Three. Did you say three different traffic drivers? Three. Write that down, y'all. Um, Mike. I would go back. I'm just echoing what I said earlier is to get really clear about what your goal is. And Again, is it an income goal? Is it a tax write-off goal? Because th those are going to vary. If you need to get something before the end of the year to get in a cost seg and everything else, like it's going to be different. So get clear on your goal and then elevate your network. Get around people, whether it's paid or free, that are doing the things that you want to do that you can bounce things off of. 
Because what happens to most people is they listen to this podcast and they watch YouTube stuff and they get excited and then they get all the way close to the finish line and then they freak out because they don't have anybody to sense check them on like, am I doing the right thing? And then they scurry back into their comfort zone. That's one of the, one of the reasons why I constantly invest in myself to be in these rooms with people that are going to support, encourage, and challenge me to go to the next level. Cause it, it isn't always going to be comfortable. So if you're in the right circle, they're going to pull you up. They'll sense check you to make sure it's a good deal, but then they'll push you forward. Even when you're freaking out. Sense check. I like, I'm writing that down. Sense check. Cause that I, I agree with you. I see people all the time that they'll get like almost to buying something and then they'll get an email. I'll get a random email from somebody I don't know. And they're like, can you tell me if this is a good deal? And I always try to respond to that. Cause I'm like, I've been there. It's okay. Let me look at this. So I think that's really, really good advice. Rachel, what do you think? Mm, I love it. Um, so, of course, for me, it's it's to do your research. I think in any um, economy, real estate is definitely cyclical. And so you do want to understand the markets that you're looking to invest in, how they're behaving. You want to make projections, look at trends as well. But it's, again, I, I hate to echo what Mike and Bill is saying, but, but it's so true, like surrounding yourself with the right individuals, because it's not only about the mentor you're working with, but it's those other individuals within that cohort as well that can help sense check you, that can help, you know, pull you up when you're feeling down, that can help um, inspire as well. So there are many days where you may go in and you're looking to do a deal. And I wholeheartedly, um, endorse. Yes. Now is a great time to buy. Let's get in before the 100% depreciation goes away. And next year is 80% and 60%. Now is a great time to buy, but you want to, you want to be around others who are going to encourage you. There, there have been many deals that I was on the cutting, you know, the edge of just walking away from it had it not been for mentors and others in my community that I surround myself with who provided insight as well as encouragement to either move forward or there are bad deals that I, you know, they pulled me back from the ledge <laughs> from going into a bad emotional deal. And so it's really important to surround yourself with those who are looking to do what you're doing because the the peanut gallery is so loud, right? <laughs> Just go into Facebook for a second. The peanut gallery is so loud. And I read some of the things I see there. I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. And so be very mindful of who you're surrounding yourself with. And if you're looking to invest today, I still think it's a great time to invest. It just depends on where you are in life. If you have, you know, a W-2, if you're an entrepreneur, figuring out what's going to be the best for your, you know, um, economic and your lifestyle uh, going forward. All really great advice. And I think guys, you should, as, as you're listening, when they all kind of say the same thing, these are three really successful people in the space. And when they're all kind of echoing each other, it means you should probably listen to that thing that they're saying. Uh, last question is a little bit more fun. Uh, this question is what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? We'll go in the same order. Bill first. I mean, of course, it's the one over your left shoulder, short-term, long-term long wealth. Um, I, I mean, I, I've actually read your book and it's really good. I would recommend that. Well, thank There's you. There's really two that. that have fundamentally changed my life in the last 15 years. One is the E-Myth, the Entrepreneurial Myth uh, by Michael Gerber. Uh, it's the E-Myth Revisited. 
Um, it's like short, it's 289 pages. It's the anecdotal component uh, to it about working, you know, on your business versus in your business. I think that's a really challenging thing. And I think it's tough when somebody buys their first property um, and they're going to do all of it and manage and they don't really focus on automation and scale and getting their self out of that business. Uh, two is profit first. Um, I read profit first, I think probably six years ago. Um, Mike, how do you say, I can't even say his last name. Mike, what? Michalowicz. Mike Michalowicz, uh, profit first. So I was the, the consummate entrepreneur that would literally pay my employees, pay my bills. Um, so a few, probably three to five times in my career, I had to dip into savings without telling my wife to have a cash infusion to, you know, to literally put it into to paychecks to cut payroll on Wednesday. So we'd clear payroll on Friday. Um, and profit first fundamentally changed that for me. So like in my short term investing, I pay my investment account first. Literally, that's what gets paid first. So I do a variation. I pay my investment account. I pay all of my carry costs, all my expenses, and then I pay myself. Um, I'm in a position now to where I am in a, I am able to pay my investment account, but I'm also taking what I learned from Mike uh, to where I'm teaching my four, my 13 year old and my 16 year old to do the exact same thing, uh, but a little bit differently as they both have their own businesses. I do believe in paying the business first, the future, not the expenses. Those are two mindset, completely different things. Pay the future of the business first um, and then pay your expenses. But the E-Myth and Profit First by Mike um, Michalowicz, as I say it right, Michalowicz, um, has uh, have fundamentally shaped my life in the last 15 to 16 years. Both great recommendations. I have been the pie lady from EMIF many times in my career. Uh, Bill, while we have you, uh, let's tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to learn more about you. Uh, build short-term rental wealth, buildstrwealth.com, uh, the strwealthconference.com, uh, billfaith73 on Instagram, build short-term rental wealth Facebook group. Uh, just Google my name, Bill Faith. You can find pretty much anywhere. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know, you name it. And then uh, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Bill says, Google me, bitch. <laughs> uh, Mike, you're next. So uh, favorite book and then also where everyone can find more, find out more about you. It better be the pumpkin plan. That's all I'm saying. No, I told you I'm throwing a curveball. So uh, I'm going to throw out three real quick and I apologize for breaking the rules, but these three that's really fine. changed my mindset, not like mechanically, but mindset wise. Um, the first was psycho cybernetics by Maxwell Waltz. If you haven't read that, I'd highly encourage it. Um, the next one is outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill. Most people have read thinking grow rich, but outwitting the devil is so good. I highly encourage you to read that one. And it was so controversial that he wrote it in the forties and it didn't get published until 2011. So it's a good one. Um, and then, uh, thinking grow rich and obviously rich dad, poor dad, but um, those were the ones like mindset wise that completely changed like the way that I thought and helped me develop the self image to go from like the insecure corporate accountant to the full-time real estate investor that can put on conferences with bill and speak on stage and do all this stuff. That was a big transition to go from, you know, from that to that. So Avery, can I point something out here real quick? Sure. So for all of you guys that are listening, um, you might look at Michael and I, because we put a conference on together and that type of stuff and think we're very, very similar. The last 90 seconds to two minutes shows you how polar opposite we are. 
he's talking about books and mindset, you know, stuff. And I'm talking about helping you with the tactical components, right? So that's why him and I mesh so well together um, because we can flip-flop that as well, but we always complement, but we're polar opposite in the way that we think and we approach things, but we get very similar results. You need to keep that in mind when you're selecting your next mentor. Great point. Oh, and Michael, where can everyone find out more about you? Sure. Um, Instagram at the Airbnb guy, although they just flag my account because we've been growing too quickly, apparently. So they flag my account till next week. So if I'm not responding, I apologize. They shut banned me for another week. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, short term rental secrets, um, strsecrets.com, the short term rental secrets podcast. We've been doing that for two and a half years now. Um, again, you can Google me, but short term rental secrets, <laughs> you'll find me. Awesome. And Rachel. All right. So Mike cheated. I think I'm going to cheat too. So I want to share a couple of books. So from a tactical perspective, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Uh, I love this book because I'm, again, a DIYer. I, I'm you know, doctor by day and I'm the cleaning lady by night, right? I want to do it myself. And so getting yourself out of your business is really, really um, one high, it's one of the highest leverage things you can do, right? Because as a visionary for your business, you really want to figure out who you can place in the different roles. And it does take time, but who you can place in different roles in order to move forward. And from a mindset perspective, for me, it's uh, Believe It, How to Go from Underestimated to Unstoppable by Jamie Kern Lima. I think it's a must read for anyone who has self-doubt, you know, and I meet a lot of members in our community who, who have a lot of self-doubt. And she, what I love about it, she doesn't fit the mold of a cosmetics guru. Uh, she founded It Cosmetics and her whole brand was, you know, denied by L'Oreal multiple times, but she's a self-made billionaire. They finally purchased her brand. Um, and so again, she doesn't fit the mold of what you would see on the magazine covers as a cosmetics expert. And she was told that multiple times to her face, but she worked so hard and she overcame that and was able to just really encourage others who, you know, are looking for some of that encouragement. So those books have been game changers for me. And I'm really excited about sharing them with your audience as well. All amazing recommendations. We got quite a few that we haven't had before. Uh, Rachel, before we let you go, where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, yeah. Forgot to mention that. Yeah, go to 75gems.com. Uh, that'll lead you to all my other things. But at 75gems.com, you get my top 75 U.S. cities that I'm looking to invest in with the highest profitability. So 75gems.com. All right. Well, guys, thank you so, so much for your time. I know you're all incredibly busy and in high demand. So I really appreciate you guys coming on and we will catch you later. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Avery.